Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. started a series about uh, three weeks ago uh, dealing with this thought, uh, are you listening to God? The uh, scripture text might seem a little bit odd uh, for, for the story, for this topic, but as I started looking at the ten plagues in Egypt, uh, it really just seemed like the Holy Spirit pointed out to me uh, each of those plagues, every time Pharaoh refused to listen to God. Uh, God had sent Moses in to uh, deliver the children of Israel that had been there in bondage. And uh, Moses came in and said, God said, let my people go. And uh, if you don't, these things are going to happen. So he was refusing to listen to God. Now, I understand uh, he was not a believer. I I recognize that. Uh, I also know that the Bible tells us that God told Moses up front that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart, that he wasn't going to listen and, and that's something we need to remember sometimes ourselves, I, I, I think. If someone's not a believer, if they don't know Christ as their Savior, typically they're not going to listen to God. Amen? Most of the time. Uh, and, and that's kind of to be expected. The, the thing that concerns me more and more uh, is that even in Christian circles or in churches or in the lives of people who say they're Christian, it seems like we're morphing a little bit over the years to where even Christians feel like it's optional whether or not they listen to what God has to say. And maybe that's why God has us in this series, to where we need to be asking ourselves, are we listening to God? Uh, you can see what our topic is today. You'll understand that uh, in a moment, uh, asking if you're, if you're aggravated uh, yet. Uh, the first plague happened when uh, Moses and Aaron, uh, by God's direction, took the staff uh, over the water of the Nile and all the water in Egypt, uh, not just the Nile River, but all the water in Egypt was turned into blood. Uh, That happened as a consequence of Pharaoh refusing to listen to God. So I started out that series telling us uh, and helping us to focus upon the fact that there are consequences. Also, not the same consequences, but there are consequences that can affect our lives when we refuse to listen to what God is telling us. Uh, last week, we talked about the frogs and how those uh, frogs came up upon the land. Once again, that was a result of uh, Pharaoh refusing to listen to God and uh, their frogs that come up all across the land. Uh, eventually, Pharaoh got sick and tired of the frogs, and he asked Moses to pray to God to take them away. Moses said, when do you want me to pray? And, and Pharaoh said, tomorrow, which I told you last week, that's kind of the main point of the, the message. Why in the world would you wait until the next day to get rid of something that was so frustrating as frogs in your bed, frogs in your oven, uh, as the Bible tells us was taking place there. But we ourselves, regrettably, will do the same thing many times. We'll have self-generated problems in our lives because we refuse to listen to God. And instead of asking God to help us with the problems now, we'll put it off to tomorrow and the next day, and the next day, and and the next day. After seven days, God takes away these frogs. And uh, there's another judgment that's being sent. And this judgment's going to involve the 
the gnats, uh, some translations say, some translations say lice. Uh, there's a word that's used in the Hebrew to describe these small insects that's not used ever again in the Bible. Uh, and it's kind of uh, uh, a word that they don't know a lot about, except that it is talking about some type of a small insect. Some people believe it might have been sand fleas. Some people believe uh, it might have been mosquitoes. Uh, but irregardless, if you have as many insects as we're going to read about right here, uh, all over the place, it's going to aggravate you pretty bad, isn't it? Look what the verses say. We'll break them down in a moment. But in, in Exodus 8, chapter 16 through 19, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians, you remember those guys that Pharaoh had been calling and uh, asking them to duplicate uh, what Moses and Aaron had done? The same ones that turned the... Uh, water to blood. Uh, they duplicated that also. I don't know why you want more water turned to blood uh, when you don't have any water to start with. Uh, they duplicated frogs. I don't know why you want more frogs when you've got frogs in your bed and in your oven. But the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats. But this time, look what happened. They could not do it. But they could not. And it looks like maybe they tried to get rid of the gnats because of the way this is phrased, so there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. We can have circumstances hit our lives that can be very aggravating to us. There's a picture of, of that for us to look at in, in all these gnats that took place when Aaron struck the, the dust of the earth and, and the dust literally became gnats. I, I've been in situations that kind of make me feel like that. I'm talking about literally, not just negative circumstances that we're going to talk about really in, in the message, but I've been places to where, man, the gnats were so thick you couldn't even breathe hardly because of them. Uh, two years ago, Nick Beaver, who uh, comes here to the church, and uh, Nick called me up one, one day, and he says, do you want to go with me and let's go bow hunting over to W. Kerr Scott? And uh, I didn't even realize there was a place there that you could bow hunt, but uh, he did because he spends more time at it than I get to. And, and there's a, a little place that you can bow hunt on W. Kerr Scott on federal property over there, but it's surrounded by private land, and the only way you can get to it is by boat. So uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to go with him. I said, sure, let's go. So we go over there, and he takes a small boat, and we cross over uh, across W. Kerr Scott, pull up in a little cove, and then we go up and take our climbing tree stands because we weren't going to leave them there. And we hunted until dark, and then uh, really didn't do any good other than see some. And uh, we came down the tree, put our stand on our back, and we're walking out. And as we walk out, it's dark now. And as we go down toward where the boat is, we're walking through this little cove. And it's like you're walking through a fog of gnats. 
I mean, they are all over the place. They're getting in my eyes. They're getting up in my nose. Uh, I've got the stand on my back that I just pulled out of a tree. Uh, and because I'm old now, I'm breathing really hard as I walk out. And so that means what? The frogs are also getting where? In my mouth. And I, you know, I was just getting you know, really aggravated uh, about that. And we finally got in, in the boat trying to wipe your eyes out and uh, start trying to go across the water. And we still didn't really escape them fully until we got into his pickup to leave. Daryl and myself several years ago were on a, uh, a children's uh, camp trip. And I'm trying to remember, I think maybe we were in Tennessee, someplace in Tennessee, uh, for this one that we went to. And I noticed when we got there, there were people walking around holding sticks up in the air. And I thought, man, is this some weird cult Daryl's taking us to for the, for, for the youth or something like that? And, uh, and then I started asking questions, and the people had uh, figured this out, that if you carry the stick up in the air, then the gnats tend to come to the highest location, so they were coming uh, toward the stick instead of down uh, around your body. So here I am walking around carrying a stick, uh, too, as, as I'm there. And I'm just using that as a picture of how aggravating things could be. Imagine being the Egyptians, and the dust of the earth has been turned into gnats. And whichever way you look, wherever you go, you're experiencing gnats. They're small, they're so small they get into your home, and you can't escape them wherever you're going. And, And this plague takes place, and I'm sure it made them aggravated. You ever get aggravated about circumstances sometimes in your life? You know, some of you being honest, some of you shaking head, and some of you acting pious like, no, I don't ever do that. Well, I got news for you. I'm your pastor and I do that. Come home from in Guatemala uh, and Becky had uh, donated an old sofa we we had uh, to a a mission uh, over in in Hickory that helps uh, women. Uh, over there and they'd come taking it out of the way and we're also getting out of the way because I want to move my art easel inside out of the garage because cold weather's coming before long and I wanted to be there but it wasn't working out like I wanted it to and it was being a little bit aggravating trying to set things up and and uh, and I started getting away from my preacher side and getting toward my human aggravated side and everything like that and start fussing and complaining and getting loud about it and everything and my darling wife looks at me and said I didn't have any of that while you were gone go back to Guatemala So, you know, if you say amen, that means you understand it. You've been there, huh? <laughs> but we can. We, we, we can have things to, to be very aggravating in, in our lives, circumstances. And that can happen without us being the reason for it. But, but sometimes we face things in our lives that can really frustrate us and aggravate us because it is self-generated, because it's caused by you and I failing to listen to God. And, and that's what we see a picture of, I think, as we look at these, uh, at these scriptures. We're going to look at some, some lessons that we need to learn as we think about this topic of uh, whether you're aggravated yet because there are things in your life aggravating you because you failed to listen to God. First lesson is this. Don't expect warnings from God every time before a judgment or a negative circumstance of some type may hit your life. 
Don't expect it every time. The, the reason I say that, in, in this particular plague, and in two other of the plagues that will take place in this story of the, of the plagues in Egypt, God doesn't give an immediate warning to Pharaoh. God had given a warning about the water turning to blood. God had given a warning about the frogs. But in this instant, we're not told in the Bible that God gives a warning at all. We're simply told, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Now, some people may think, well, that's not fair for God just to do that all of a sudden and not give Pharaoh a, a little bit of an indication, a little bit of a warning that all of a sudden the dust is going to turn to gnats. But see, we view things from human perspective when it comes to fairness and things like that. And out of doubt, really, we want to live in the, the realm of fairness because I need mercy a lot of times, don't you? Instead of God necessarily doing what's fair. But God had already warned him previous to this, if you don't let my people go, this is what's going to happen. And he had ignored it. God had given him at least three warnings previous to this taking place. And it may take place without a warning because in the last instance of the frogs, Pharaoh lies to Moses and to God. He said, well, you get rid of the frogs and, and, and I'll let you go out and worship your God. And then he changed his mind. So instead of there being an additional warning, an additional chance, suddenly this judgment takes place. And you see, God is just and righteous to have done that because he's holy and he always does what's right. Amen? So whether we like it or not, God, God could have convicted me of my sin one time and me not pay any attention to what God was saying to me, and God could have judged me, taken my life, sent me into an eternal hell, and God would have been just doing so because God had given me a chance. I, I thank God that's not what he did. I thank God he gave me more than that one chance, that he gave me additional chances. But the, the lesson for us is, is simply this. Don't think because God doesn't warn you or tell you in advance about the negative circumstances in your life or being directly sent by him as a wake-up call or, or to judge you because you refuse to listen to, to his word or his will, don't wrongly assume that God's not the one that's doing it. Don't think that, that what you're facing in your life, especially when you've been rejecting God's truth and God's will and God's word, that you clearly know is from God, that it's in black and white, and it's in things that's not like it can mean one thing or the other. There's many things God tells us is clearly black and white, and yet we reject that. We ignore it uh, for, our, for our lives. And negative circumstances come just because God didn't say, hey, because you didn't listen to me, this is what's happening to you. God may not do that every time. God may not warn you every time. And yet because he's just and holy and righteous and he does everything exactly as it should be, God is still holy and righteous and just if he's already warned us one time already and we've rejected his truth and then negative circumstances come 
God's not underneath an obligation to warn you again and again and again and again and again. Thank God because of his mercy and his grace, he does. But it doesn't necessarily happen every time. And we we see that in in this story. We need to kind of let that be a a wake-up call for us. If you're here in this place this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and God has convicted you of your sin and he showed you you need to trust in Jesus, and you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and rejecting that, you need to be very careful of that because God's already given you all the warning he's needs to give you. He, he can suddenly take your life and you not ever have any chance to make things right with him. There's no guarantee of a deathbed confession taking place. We, we need to recognize that. Second thing I want you to, to notice this morning is, is this. God is even God of the dust and the insects of the earth. Now, that's just me saying that in a really literal way to, to really say something larger, and that is God's a sovereign God. God, God is an all-powerful God. And, he, and he, can, he, he can choose to even use things like dust and insects if he desires to. The, the Bible says, and they did so. They did exactly what God told them to do. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast and all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Now I've talked about things like this already in this series because sometimes you read things that are really uh, strange, like these big plagues taking place and, and like, well, that really happened? All the water turned to blood? Did that really happened? They had so many frogs that were in, in their beds and people will question that. And some of them might think, well, really, did that take place at all? The, the dust in Egypt become gnats or become those small insects? Whatever, whatever the word meant in, in the Hebrew? And, and, and my answer to that is simply this. I believe it did because I don't know any better than just take God at his word. I'm sorry. I'm ignorant enough just to believe what God said. So, so imagine those circumstances for a minute. We, we've talked in this series about how God was sending these plagues. By doing so, he's also judging the false gods of Egypt. When he turned the water to blood, he was judging three of their false gods, really five of them, because they viewed Pharaoh in the Nile River itself as though it were a god. So when that water is judged by God and turned to blood, it's also a judgment against their false gods. Last week, those frogs coming up upon the land, they had another false god, or a goddess rather, who had the body of a woman but the the head of a frog. So as those frogs come on the land, it's as though God is making a sport of the false gods there, and he's showing them who is really the true god. The Egyptians had a false god also by the name of Set. And he's the god of the the desert or the god of the sand. So as Moses and Aaron turn that desert, that, that dust, as it is turned into gnats, it's also a judgment. God showing that he has more power and authority because their gods didn't even exist. They're just false gods. God is such an all-powerful, sovereign God that he can even use things like dust. 
Jehovah God is so great that he could give life to insignificant dust. That's really what takes place. That dust becomes gnats. It becomes some type of small insect. So he gives life to the dust. That's how powerful God is. And then he used that dust that he gave life to punish Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Here's another instance of God giving life to dust. The Bible says God took the dust of the earth and he gathered it together and he formed Adam and he breathed into it and became a living soul. That shows us how powerful God is. The fact that God is a sovereign God, that God has all authority and we need to recognize that in our lives. He did that in in creation and, and man, even though we think we're something, guess what? We die and we go back to dust. God is a... He's a sovereign God. Think about the resources of God for a minute. We wouldn't typically think of dust as a resource. Ladies, when the last time you were walking around in your house and you saw dust here and there and you thought, man, there's dust, I can take that and do something with it, huh? And yet God, because he's God, saw the dust and he thought, I can't do something with it. I can use that to judge Pharaoh. I I can use that to judge Egypt because they're refusing to let my people go. He turned dust into an instrument of his will, something you think of as very insignificant, a small thing, and yet God turned it into an instrument of his will. There's something else taking place there that you wouldn't really recognize unless you did a a, a background study uh, to the, the lifestyle of the Egyptians. The, the Egyptians were kindly like germaphobics. Most of you know what that is. That's people that's really scared of, of, of germs uh, so much. Uh, one of my daughters, I'll not say which one it was to be kind, was uh, yeah, at one time kindly uh, like that, uh, so much so that Becky said, I think I, I, I warned her too many times about washing her hands and, and germs and everything like that because she had like put, uh, you know, house shoes on before she'd even walk across the floor or do anything, you know, in, in a house. That's just kind of the way, the, the way she was. Now our kids kind of make fun of that a little bit when Becky starts warning things about the grandkids and stuff like that, uh, because so, uh, they've got a term that they'll say raw eggs, like, you know, you know, you're, you're worrying about something you don't need to worry about. You know, you don't eat raw eggs because you might get sick. You know, you've been told that before. Well, you know, it's like they'll say raw eggs, you know, don't worry about, uh, all that. Well, that's kind of the way the Egyptians were. They were so germaphobic that they would shave their bodies especially their high priest, which have all the hair on their bodies because they wanted to feel like they were clean. And even having the hair on their bodies made them feel unclean. I, I've been tempted to going back to that again, not because I'm a germaphobic, but I'm just tired of messing with trying to comb this stuff. I, I grew some of it back just to show you all I'm not completely bald. And I may show up completely bald one Sunday because I decided to shave it again. Works out under a motorcycle helmet a little bit better anyway. <laughs> But they were, they, they were like that about their bodies. And the, and the priest would have thought anything like an insect landing on their body would be unclean. So see, that's something that's taking place in the background here that we wouldn't normally recognize and think about. But the people there were like, you know, clean fanatics. And now all of a sudden, these bugs are all over their bodies. 
And it's judging even the high priests that are there because now the high priests are feeling like they're unclean. And what this is pointing out to them, what it should have pointed out to them was this. Hey, the false gods that you're trusting in, they can't do anything to help you. Because look, even your priests are covered with these gnats all over their body. Their false gods could not deliver them. And all these very small insects, gnats, leaves, whatever it was, they didn't have any protection, any precautions because they were so small they could creep into their homes and get into their eyes and their noses covering their whole bodies like a cloud of dust. There's some monuments in Egypt that refer to Pharaoh as neither nefer. And the translation of that means perfect God, the perfect God. So they were kind of thinking, well, Pharaoh is a perfect God. But in all these plagues, what we're seeing is this. There's only one perfect God. There's only one that has total authority. There's only one sovereign God. And he can even use the dust of the earth if he desires. In our lives, we need to recognize the total sovereignty of God. I believe the Bible teaches the total sovereignty of God. I believe God keeps our planet where it needs to be. I believe God holds the stars in space where they need to be, our sun where it needs to be. I I believe God is a sovereign God. And as we looked at that a year or so back in a series, if you change anything about our solar system, just a little bit, we couldn't even be alive here. God is a sovereign God, and we need to recognize that. And God can even use the dust of the earth and insects of the earth to aggravate our lives if he wants to when we refuse to listen to him. Third thing I want you to get this morning is this. The enemy has no real power before God. The enemy that's pictured here in these magicians, the ones that Pharaoh had been calling upon, that had been able to emulate some of the things that Moses and Aaron had done. But we find out here they could not do it. They tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So because they could not produce them and they could not take them away, it seems to apply they were gnats on men and beasts. Those magicians give us a picture of the enemies of God. They had attempted to imitate the real mighty works of God by turning water to blood or the plague of frogs. But this visitation of this tiny enemy, this insect that came about from the dust, forced them to acknowledge that they were powerless before God. Apply that to Satan for a minute. Satan is not a creator. Satan is not all-powerful. Our Hollywood movies may attribute it to make it look like he has abundant power. But that's not the true picture of Satan. Satan can go no further than God allows him to go. Look at Job for an illustration of that. He could only afflict Job to the degree that God allowed him to afflict Job. He could go no further than that. God has him on a leash. God has him to where he can only go so far. 
The devil's agents, even seen in these Egyptian magicians, when God permitted them to do what appeared to be great things, then they could do it. But when God laid an embargo upon them with only his finger, because they, some, they, they themselves will say in just a minute to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. With only his finger, they could do nothing. The enemy has no real power before God. You want another illustration of that? Remember, Jesus was in the wilderness. Jesus is there in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying. Satan shows up to tempt him. Here's the temptation of Satan. Turn those rocks into bread, and then you can have something to eat. Now, guys, I'm sorry, but if I'm trying to tempt a hungry man that's been fasting for 40 days, and if I have the ability to to do it, I'm not going to show him rocks. I'm going to bring up some hot piping bread over here with butter if I really want to tempt him. I think the fact that Satan approached it the way he did even shows us this. He has no authority before Jesus. Amen? The the enemy has no authority and no power before God. The devil can copy something, but he cannot create it. The the devil will try and do counterwork or counterfeit the work of God, but he cannot create it. He'll have a a false Christ, an antichrist. He'll try and give his false religion in in things. But he's he's a deceiver and he's an imitator. And before God, he doesn't have any real power. And the Bible teaches this. Sooner or later, even the enemies of God, God's going to extort or extract from them worship. There's coming a day in time that even the very enemies of God are going to confess who Jesus is. The Bible tells us this in Philippians. Look at it in Philippians 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him, talking about Christ, and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means there's coming a day in time that every atheist and every agnostic, whether they like it or not, there's coming a day in time they will bend their knee to Christ and they will confess with their tongue that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means there's coming a day that Madeline O'Hara, who went to the Supreme Court to try and, and attack our religious freedoms uh, and, and everything, and, and then now she has died and gone. Strange thing is her son became a preacher one day. I don't know if you knew that or not. But she's dead and gone. Madeline O'Hara, who went to the Supreme Court trying to take away religious freedom, one day she will bend her knee and she will open her mouth whether she likes it or not. And she'll confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day Jesus will stand with his foot upon the neck of Satan and then he will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. You have a picture in the New Testament when Jesus came up to like the Gadarene and demonic. The demons inside of him recognized who Jesus was and confessed who Jesus was not by faith. They were doing it because they knew it by sight. They knew who he was. The, the enemy has no power before God. And you see a picture of that in the fact that these magicians cannot duplicate at all this miracle because God wouldn't let them do it. God has all power. 
Don't go around living your life like you think Satan has power over you. Or that you think that Satan is, is like a God himself in some way. He's not. He's a created being. And one day he'll be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity. Satan cannot create. He can only duplicate and copy. Thank God there's only one creator and he loves us. Amen. Last thing I want you to get from this story is this. We need to recognize the hand of God when we see it. We need to learn to recognize the hand of God in circumstances in our lives when we see it. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They had already been through two plagues. Now this third plague, where all the dust of Egypt turns into gnats. And what I experienced that I used as an illustration early on in the message in that little cove over at W. Kerr Scott Dam has, cannot begin to compare with the amount of gnats or small bugs that happen to be there in Egypt. They recognize that it was the finger of God. They tell Pharaoh that it was the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had already said, that he would not listen to them. Even these heathen magicians recognized God's hand when they saw it. They said, this is the finger of God. Now God had already in advance told Moses this. God said by his hand, He would lead them out. Look at what he says here in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, this was in advance to all this taking place. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of the mighty hand, my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And that's exactly what will happen after the death of all the firstborn when that plague takes place. Not just his hand, but God had said he was going to have an outstretched arm. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God has said in advance, by my powerful hand, by my outstretched arm, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to set you free from the burden that you've been underneath there in, in, in Egypt. And even the magicians recognize the finger of God. But Pharaoh, even after the water turned to blood, even after the frogs coming out and inhabiting all the land, even after all these gnats, the dust turning into gnats, into these small insects afflicting the people. He still has an obstinate heart. A heart that's closed off from God. A heart that will not listen to God. And his heart is increasingly getting harder and harder and harder. God had been merciful by getting rid of the frogs. And you would have thought that mercy might would have spoken somehow to Pharaoh, but it didn't. So God sends this plague, and he's going to send seven more plagues. Instead of Pharaoh softening his heart and listening to what God is saying, he continues and he continues and he continues to refuse 
to listen to God. We as believers of all people, if you know Christ as your Savior, we need to learn to recognize the finger of God, the hand of God, when we see it. The psalmist wrote this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, more or less, before I read that, that last sentence there in, in verse 4, what the psalmist is saying is this. He's saying, God, I look at the heavens and I see that you're the one that did it. I look at the heavens and I see that it's by the work of your finger. Really, it was just by the work of his word, by the way. Jesus is God's agent of creation. Jesus spoke everything into existence as the second part of the triune God that exists. Jesus just said, let there be light, and there was light. And yet the psalmist says, I look at everything that exists, and I see the work of your fingers, the work of your hand. And then in in response to how great God is to have created all of creation, the psalmist says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? We ought to be humbled by the great work of God. We ought to recognize his his handiwork. In, In the New Testament, in Luke, Jesus said this. Now, before I read it, the background to it is that Jesus had cast out a demon and, of course, and Jesus had performed many other miracles. And the ones that wanted to reject Jesus, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and, and that group there, they were accusing Jesus of doing those works by the work of Satan, is more or less what they were saying. In response to it, Jesus said, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, it's really important for us to grasp this. There's no power but God's power. Now, now that's, a, that's a foundational thing that we need to understand. Now, someone might argue and look out in the world and say, but I, I see this power existing and that power existing. wouldn't be there if it weren't for God allowing it to exist. We elevate ourselves sometimes and think how grand and great we are and the, the power, the authority that we have. You would have no authority and power and ability whatsoever if it were not for God. If you strip everything back, there's only one true power in all the universe, in all that exists, in heaven and in earth. There's only one true power, and that is God himself. And and we need to recognize that in in our own lives. Pharaoh refused to listen. He refused to recognize the power of God. So he'll face seven more plagues. And when they're finished, the nation of Egypt will be brought to its knees. The nation that most people think was probably the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time of history. If God could do that to a great nation then, he can do it to a great nation now. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Egypt experienced that. I pray that we don't have to to turn America back to God. But we need to recognize the hand of God, the work of God when we see it. Here's an underlying principle in all of this, all these plagues and and the way Pharaoh responds that that I want you to think about. The underlying principle is simply this. Those that are not made better by God's word and power are commonly made worse by them. 
because they continue to reject God's word and God's will. In, in other words, as God communicates to us, and you can find it right in the Bible, as God communicates to us his word, and we read it and he, and he speaks to us, and he communicates his word and what his will is. It can either be a blessing to us or a curse to us. If we will receive it and apply it to our lives, it can be a great blessing. It can help us to do better. It can make us better. It can do good for us. But if we, like Pharaoh, have the attitude that we know better than God and we're going to reject what God says to us, the same word that can give life to someone else can speak death to another person. The the same word that can bring about benefit and blessing in, in our lives can make us worse if we fail to listen and apply it to our lives. And regrettably, in Pharaoh's situation, it was making him worse. I I can't tell you why God led me to this series. I I, I just was trying to study one sermon uh, about frogs to preach in Guatemala so I could throw a dead frog on somebody's bed as I preach. But I do know in the process of that, God led me to focus upon this series. And there's going to be recurring thoughts and recurring verses. And I can't explain it. It'd be really easy for you to come and say, well, you kind of said something similar to that last week. I did, but God is still speaking. And the only thing that, that I can say is that just maybe we've got a problem with this. Maybe some of us have a problem with hearing God, but not doing what he says. Clearly hearing what God says, reading what God's will is, and yet refusing to obey it. And maybe that's why God has us here. The, the reason I say that is that I'm going to read a, a passage of scripture right now I alluded to last week. It may be something we need. Some of the men, uh, primarily some of them that's uh, in, in Lynn Crump's small group, uh, meet for breakfast on Friday mornings. It's not just for those in his small group. I don't go to, to his small group because I lead another small group. But uh, most, most Friday mornings at 715, uh, they get together and have breakfast. If you would, uh, sometimes it doesn't happen because of our schedule, but some of you men, if you'd like to be put on a, on a text message to find out when it's going to be and everything like that, if you'll see Lynn, I'm sure he wouldn't mind adding you in at the, uh, at the end of the service. Uh, I'd love to fill the whole room up there at Clarence's on uh, Friday morning with a bunch of men getting together to pray and study a little bit on Friday morning before you eat breakfast and go to work. So that's an open invitation of that. Well, guess what scripture uh, Lynn had to read this week? <laughs> Same scripture that we're looking at here. The same scripture that I alluded to at the end of last week. So maybe we need it. The weird thing, I didn't have my Bible with me and I was opening it up on my phone and I had not used my phone to look this text up. But I was using a Bible app on my phone. I showed it to Lynn Friday morning when it happened. And I kind of started laughing. I said, look where it opened to. Exact verse. Exact passage just when I opened it up. So maybe God has something that we need to pay attention to. The writer of Hebrews, under divine inspiration, says, Take care, brothers, 
So he's writing to believers. He's writing to Hebrew believers. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, uh, unless there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Now that's a warning to believers. You're not losing your salvation, but you sure can lose your fellowship with God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. In other words, while we have the chance to, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're actually told there in the Scriptures that when we view something in someone else's life that we recognize is against the will of God, that's a sin, that we need to help hold each other accountable. That doesn't mean you go out and gossip about them. That doesn't mean you call and tell somebody else, hey, let me tell you what so-and-so did. That means what we need to do is go to each other and help each other recover from failures that we have in our lives. But then he goes on and he says, was it not those who sin whose bodies... Well, he's already gone ahead. I'm like, wait a minute. For we, for we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's not talking about Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He's talking about the Israelites that were led out and brought out of Egypt. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom he, talking about God, did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, he's not talking about the rest in heaven. Here's why. He's talking about those that came out of Egypt, failing to believe God and take God out at his word so they didn't get to go over in the promised land. Irregardless of the way some of our songs may sound and hymns and things like that, the promised land, crossing over into the promised land, is not a picture of heaven. Because they promised, they crossed over into the promised land and they had to fight giants. They had to face walled cities. There were battles to take place. So going into the promised land is not a picture of heaven like some of our songs would lead us to believe. What it is a picture of is experiencing the victorious Christian life. To where you can have a sense of rest in your heart and life because you Believe God and you're taking God at his word and you cross over into the promised land to take it as he told you to. A whole generation died out because they refused to do that. And God had to take a new generation in. And they entered into the rest of possessing the promised land. So the warning for us is simply this. We need to believe God. We need to take God at his word. We need to apply God to our lives, his word to our lives because if we fail to do so, we're going to miss out on some of the rest that he wants us to have. Some of the peace that he wants us to have. We're going to miss out on victorious Christian living. Regrettably, we can get aggravated a lot of times in our lives, can't we? 
Will you be honest? You ever get aggravated about stuff and lose it? Some of you guys better raise your hand. I see your wife's wanting to elbow you. I mean, on some days, don't let me drop something, <laughs> you know? And God, please don't let me drop it twice. That's a direct quote from William, William Rogers. I, I told him that in the first service. He told me that years ago. We were talking about getting frustrated and angry about things and, uh, you know, us holding each other accountable a little bit. And he said, yes, yeah, someday, you know, don't let me drop something twice. Some days if I drop something twice, I go into nuclear mode, you know, ready to blow up. And some of you understand that because that happens to you. A lot of things that can aggravate our life, sometimes simple, stupid things, but sometimes we're facing aggravation in our life simply because we keep refusing to do what God calls us to do. We, we keep having aggravating circumstances hit our lives because we're rejecting the clearly known will of God for our lives. And we face more and more and more aggravating circumstances. Thank God we can also find peace in Jesus, though. Amen? I'm going to read some verses and then we'll close. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have, what's the word? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, 3, grace to you and, what does it say? Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, talking about Jesus, for he himself is what? Our peace. I kind of said this last week using a different verse. We'd have a lot more peace in our lives if we'd focus upon what Jesus has done for us instead of the negative circumstances in our lives. Philippians 4, 7, and the... Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if we can just let the peace that we ought to have in Jesus invade our lives all the more, maybe we wouldn't get as aggravated and frustrated and angry about stuff. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. He didn't say keep thinking about the negative junk, did he? And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me is what Paul is saying. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Even in the midst of negative circumstances. Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at do what? All times. Man, we need to learn that and apply it. All times in Every way, the Lord be with you. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Next slide. See, when we face 
aggravated trying circumstances. Imagine being the Egyptians. <laughs> Man, you're really on a roll. All the water's been turned to blood. You've had frogs in your bed. Now there's gnats everywhere. All over your body, your mouth, your eyes, your ears, you can't escape the gnats. Now, I know they weren't his people, but we as his people, we can face negative circumstances. And when we are facing such aggravating circumstances in our lives, a lot of times it's easy for us to ask the question, does God even care? Right? You ever done that? Be honest. You ever done that? You're going to do something and you, and you think, does God even care? Well, the resounding answer of Scripture is yes, because God proved to the Israelites who were there in bondage, probably wondering in all their labor and all the hardship they were going through in Egypt, does God even care? And he did. He sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. Does God even care for you and your circumstances, for me and my circumstances? The, the abundant answer of scriptures is this. Yes, he does, because he sent a different deliverer, not Moses. He sent his own son, God in the flesh. To with his outreach arm, God told Moses, I'm going to deliver my people with an outreach arm, talking about the Israelites. But with his outreach arms, he was yanked up and nailed on a cross and paid the full penalty for our sins to show us how much God cares. Even when you're going through negative circumstances. Even when you're aggravated by the circumstances of life. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we allow the peace that you want us to have in our hearts as believers to escape us. Forgive us when we allow ourselves to become so aggravated as circumstances in our lives. Father, especially forgive us when those circumstances are self-imposed. When by our failure to listen to you, it's like everywhere we look, there's gnats aggravating our lives. Because we have refused to listen to you, every which way we go, we're facing negative circumstances again and again and again. Father, help us that we don't harden our hearts. Help us that we allow you to use the circumstances of life to speak to us. And Father, help those of us that know Christ as our Savior already to find peace in whatever circumstances we're facing. Father, I pray for anyone in this place that may not ever have said yes to Jesus. Potentially, they've, they've heard from you. They've felt your conviction. They've, they, they've felt you call them to believe in Christ. But they pushed it off, and they pushed it off, and they pushed it off. Father, help them to understand in this moment they're not guaranteed any additional time. You're not under an obligation to give extra warnings. Father, I pray if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know Christ, that they'll not risk missing heaven and missing you. Father, help them to listen right now.
words in Christ's name we pray. Please stand as we do this song of invitation. God speaks to you as a believer and you're someone, even though you know Christ as your Savior, but you you recognize you've not been listening to God as you should. You've not been applying it to your life as you should. God's Word and God's will. Don't keep facing negative circumstances that are self-generated because you keep saying no to God. Why not come as a believer and say, God, forgive me that I've not been listening. God, forgive me that I've not been applying it to my life. And if you're someone that doesn't know Jesus, why, why risk it? If He's already warned you, He doesn't have to warn you again. Why not come to Christ before it's too late? We invite you just to listen to the Holy Spirit of God responding to you. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.